This is Writing Excuses, episode 29, recording live from Worldcon. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. No, I'm not I'm Dan. You're Dan. <laughs> I thought I was Dan. Okay, keep going, guys. <laughs> you're Dan here, Howard. And he's Howard, and this is Lou Anders. We are here with Lou Anders, um, uh, publisher and editor extraordinaire. Um, I guess your just t- title is editor. Um, it's uh, editorial director. Oh, editorial director of Pyre Books. So tell us a little bit about Pyre Books. Well, Pyre was founded three years ago. We launched in March of 2005. We now have uh, over 50 titles in our backlist. We publish uh, previously 20, now 29 books a year. We are very fortunate to have two people on the Hugo ballot and two people on the Camel ballot this year. And Lou, you yourself are on the Hugo ballot. I am one of the two. I'm up for best editor. Mm, Thank you. Congratulations. And we have Ian McDonald's Brazil up in the best novel category. Mm -hmm. And then we have on the Camel, Joe Abercrombie, whose blade itself is our bestseller, and David Lewis Edelman, who who has gotten both uh, nominated for both Camels, the Memorial and the Best New Writer. Well, awesome. Um, with Lou, we're going to talk about what happens after a book gets acquired, or actually what happens after the editor wants to acquire it. What the next step is, we're going to talk you through the process, what happens um, with a book just actually coming out. Um, a lot of people are curious about this kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. So I'm just going to throw it at you first, Lou. Um, you have found a book um, through the slush fly or whatever that you want to buy. What is the next step? Well, the next step is I take it to my dark masters. Uh-huh. Explain yeah. what it is, why it's important, why they should care, and how much I think we should pay for it. Yeah. We kick that r- around, and 90% mm-hmm. of the time when I recommend a book, they say yes. Right. Um, it, it has happened that they've said no, but it's, it's, it's the exception, not the rule. Now, could I uh, ask, um, just to get more specific, let's say, for example, with Brazil, what was the pitch you gave to your dark masters on that one? Well, we had already had great success with River of Gods. Uh-huh. So it was. It's another river of gods. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Perfect. How about uh, Abercrombie? You basically discovered him. Abercrombie. Right? Um, Abercrombie uh, was published originally by Victor Gallant. They had put him out at the same time as Scott Lynch, and they had okay. gone out with both of those authors in the U.S. And everyone had gotten excited about Scott Lynch and not Abercrombie. And um, I. So when I read that manuscript, they actually presented it to me as this is a very funny fantasy, and I don't do funny fantasy. So I didn't read it for the longest time. And then uh, someone else described it as, as actually gritty George R. R. Martin right. style fantasy, which it is. And I started reading it and fell in love with it. Went and bought the Lynch because I knew that they were marketed at the same time. And read 50 pages of Lies of Locke Lamora, which was a fantastic book. Thought they were tonally almost identical. And went and made a, a presentation for the Abercrombie. Now, I think this is something that, um, that a lot of people don't understand about the publishing business is the Dark Masters thing. Um, I mean, when Moshe, um, who should be up next, wanted to buy my first book, he said, oh, I want to buy this, but I have to get permission first. The, the marketing people, you have to convince the marketing people, you have to convince the money people um, that the book will be successful. Um, and they, you do something what's called a P&L. Do you do, you do P&Ls? We don't do formal P&Ls. Okay. I have a little more flexibility. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, uh, that's a profit and loss statement. And in and, and a lot of houses, I hear that things are really being dictated by the account department. Ours are a little bit faster and looser than that. I, I do, you know, we may go in with some, if it's an author who has a track record, we may go in and look at sales figures, and that may right. affect what we can offer. Um, but we're not as bound by that because we're our, our, our I mean we want to make a profit but our ability to make a profit our margins a little bit lower than some of the big houses okay yeah all right so um, so what's the next step um, Dan you're kind of going through this right now mm-hmm. um, you're you're let's say that you get the money you get the contract sent to you um, everything's signed 
what then? Um, when, what, what's happened with yours? You're, you're in this stage right now. Um, I'm in a stage right now where I'm just kind of sitting around and uh, waiting. In, in my particular case, the uh, book is far enough off in the future. We still have a year and a half, and Moshe contacted me about a year ago that he sitting, saying he wanted to buy it. So most of that is spent waiting, which means that my agent is very active and busy behind the scenes selling foreign rights. Okay. So yeah. from my point of view, that's what's happening right now is we're selling foreign rights. We're uh, writing the next book in the series and just kind of waiting for uh, production to begin on book one. Yeah, the hurry up and wait thing I, I think happens a lot in the publishing industry. Um, I know that I will often turn in a book uh, several years early um, and then they're like, great, we, we're glad we have it. Now we can put it in the schedule to be, to have things done to it eventually. Um, and uh, sometimes you just wait and wait and wait and wait and then all of a sudden, now you need to do an edit. You've got three months, go. Um, so. <laughs> I was going to uh, fire another question. Let's talk a, a little bit about, um, about cover art, because where the cover art comes from, how cover art is, um, is chosen, that sort of stuff is, is interesting. A lot of people ask me, where, do you, where does your cover art fr come from? How did you choose your, il your illustrator? And, and my answer oh is... Oh, yeah, like you yeah. get to choose yeah. your well, illustrator. This is a great question for Lou, because yeah. I, I think Pyre has some of the yeah. best cover uh, art some of the in best the covers. industry, well, hands down. Thank yeah. you very much, first of all. Um, I, we're in a little bit of a unique situation, because my parent company is a nonfiction publisher that did not pay a lot of attention to cover uh -huh. and, uh, and do now. But um, so when I was hired, they came to me with all the questions of what they should do. And I evolved into the de facto art director. We, we have three wonderful artists in-house, um, but we can, don't have a formal Can I ask director. who the in-house artists are? You can. It's Grace Summers, Nicole Lecht, and Jackie Cook. And initially, Jackie did all the design. And now, Grace and Nicole also did design. OK. Um, but they're my designers. Okay. And, and so I, when I read a manuscript, I get an idea for what artist I want on it. And, and in fact, one of the, 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 the signals that I am interested in the manuscript that, that I have come to recognize is when I start seeing the cover in my mind. And if I don't start seeing a cover, then chances are I may not make an offer on that manuscript. Uh -huh. I may not be interested or as interested as I need to be. Okay. Um, I am also unique in that I do involve the authors. Okay. Uh, I will usually come up with two or three artists and send examples of their uh -huh. work to an to a, to a author and talk to them about why I'm thinking. Now, I, I have the final say, but I involve them in the right. process to a degree that they are not used to being involved. You know, um, I've, I've had Tor do that for me before. They don't do it on every book, but they have done that for me before, giving me just a, not, not a say, or I guess it's a say, but not, not a decision. Um, because I think what a lot of people um, don't understand is that when, when people are writing, when we're writing our books, we have an image in our head, and maybe what we would like the cover to be. But the thing is, there are people whose entire jobs, who've studied, who've worked, who've learned how to market, and the cover is marketing. The cover is not supposed to describe the book. It's supposed to get the right people to buy the book, and that's a distinction, an important distinction that I don't think a lot of writers understand. 90% of the cover's job is yeah. to get the single person at Barnes & Noble who buys for all science fiction and fantasy mm. interested in the book. Yeah. After that, I'd say another 5% of its job is to get all the buyers under him interested <laughs> and all the distributors interested. And then the last job is to hold that casual browser's interest for more than 30 seconds. Right. Which is the time it takes to, to activate an impulse buy. Right. Now, it's very nice when the cover represents a book. Uh-huh. That's not its chief concern. Yeah. Whether or um, not the guy is, um, is left-handed or right-handed and holding the sword in the wrong hand, that doesn't really matter. Now, the corollary to that yeah. is if you misrepresent a book with its cover yeah. too many times, you're going to shake off readers who have bought one kind of book and gotten another. 
Right. So it, you do want the book, the cover to be. You want to represent the book, but, right. it's, it, but it doesn't yeah. need to be an isomorphic one-to-one right. accurate representation. Yeah. yeah, you want you want people to look at it to say this is an epic fantasy. Read it. Yep, I got an epic fantasy. Exactly. Um, and so that, that's much more important than pretty much you know whether it's really actually accurate. It's like the mating signals on colorful birds. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Okay, so we've got um, we've got the art director working on a cover for um, for the book, and we've got we've got the um, the book acquired. What do we, what happens then? Well, the book um, I may have notes, I may not have notes. Uh, one of my pet peeves is uh, people misunderstand what an editor does. You know, uh-huh. With, with, with yeah. this new best editor long form Hugo, there's a lot of conversation about. Well, I don't know how to vote for that because I don't know how much he improved or or messed up the raw yeah. manuscript. And my answer to that is that you know there are times when you roll your sleeves up your elbows and dive in and tear the guts out of a book, there are times when you say, this is perfect and I'm not going to touch it. But that's not what you're voting for. What you're voting for are, is that you're reading that book yeah. and not one of the thousand other manuscripts. Right. If you're you know, reading I, a good book, right. then it's because the editor knew Chosen. the difference between a when to roll up his book. sleeves and when to... I, well, I get pitched three times a day. Mm-hmm. A weekends too. So out of that, I buy 29 books. So if you like those 29 books, that's my job, is to find the 29 best books I can. Right. Yes, there is some author, there may or may not have been some alteration to the individual manuscript to varying degrees and different editors have different styles. But the fact that they selected the manuscript in question and brought it to your attention is, is, I think, the the paramount important thing that an editor does. What does an editor do, Dan? What have you seen? you can't ask me this question when my editor is sitting five feet away and makes me nervous. <laughs> okay. He does nothing. Right? <laughs> no, he what, makes you nervous. Yeah, well, what, what my editor does is he goes through it and he says, this is great, and that's a very important step because then you feel good and you feel like, okay, I can actually do this. And then he says, here's several things that need to be fixed. And he tells me in, in rather general terms. He says, this is not working as well as it should. And he doesn't get specific because he's not a writer. He is telling me generally and then letting me fix it. And that's right. working very well. Well, it's also, um, I, I, I like what, what Lou said because I think a lot of people hear editor, they think proofreader. That's not what an editor does. An editor at a book company is actually more like a guardian angel than <laughs> anything else. The, the editor is the person who's excited about the book. The editor is the person who explains to the art directors um, at, at a traditional house, or who is the art director at your house, but explains this is what the book cover needs to look like. He goes and he fights for the book, or she fights for the book, explains to the marketing people why this book is awesome and why they bought it. And really, that's, I, I've seen the biggest, most important job of the editor is to be the advocate for the book. Absolutely. In-house and out-of-house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that will go to the pitch sessions and to pitch it to the rest of the company. Um, okay, so what then, let's talk about, um, about a copy edit. When people hear about a copy edit, what's a copy edit? Okay, copy editors are often freelancers outside the company who go through and tag the book for the typesetter. They'll catch, you know, you said 1492, and actually these events happened in 1493. Right. Uh, you've misspelled this obscure Islamic word. You've your you've, character was um, you've was misspelled the word the. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and they, you know, copy editors. Uh, uh, we used to work with Diana Hoke, and she's absolutely fabulous. Uh-huh. She caught things like uh, we did a French historical, and she. She caught that someone had described a long, uh, a horseback ride of several hours as a long ride. Uh-huh. And, she, and she went and found the actual locations on a map of ancient France and determined that it was actually a short ride by the standards of the day. Um, just marvelous things like that. Yeah. And then that is then, I'm out of that process unless they need me to step in 
uh, and we have an in-house editor named Peggy Deemer. Peggy Deemer and our copy editor, they'll send out the copy edits, they'll come back, Peggy will send it to the author, the author will go through and approve or, 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 or disprove all the copy edits. I, my policy is it is the author's book, they have the final say. Uh, if, if they really take issue with something we want to change, I'll, I'll let them have their way and it's on their head. Mm -hmm. um, right. But it's important to know, I mean, your, your job as an editor is to make the book as good as it can possibly Absolutely. be. You're, yeah. you're not opposed to the writer. You're not right. butting you up against each other. You take good books and make them fantastic. That's what I, I think part of the editor's job is. But it's the copy editor that does all the things that people mostly think of as Absolutely. an editor doing. Absolutely. Well, from the standpoint of a new author, though, that can seem adversarial because the yeah. editor is trying to make the best possible book and the author may already think they've got the best possible well, book. You know, too, one of the things that's happening is that more and more often agents are acting as editors. Yeah. So that by the, because there's so much competition that you want that manuscript to be absolutely perfect because why take a manuscript that may, that may need six months of work when next to it is a, a manuscript of the exact same subgenre, which is perfect. So books are starting to arrive having gone through several layers of editing before we ever see them. You know, it's interesting you should say that because um, when I first broke in, one of the things I noticed that my agent was saying and that Moshe was saying that a lot of people were saying was um, when they would talk about a book, they wouldn't talk about how good or bad it was. They would talk about how much work it would take to make it publishable. That became the measure. It's not a bad book. It's not a, it's a, it's this much work. It's, it's seen, any book could be the best, this fantastic book. How much work do I as the editor have to put into it? Well, and usually, in, in talking to Motion and talking to other editors, that measuring stick, and tell me if I'm wrong, Lou, is on uh, skill of storytelling. I mean, if there's a lot of technical errors, you can work with that. Right. Yeah. But a good writer is a good storyteller, and that you can't fake. That's Absolutely. what you Absolutely. need. Absolutely. Moshe Bot um, recalled me about my, my first book that he wanted to buy after only reading 200 pages of a 1,000-page manuscript. Um, and he said... I can fix an ending. I don't, you know, if, it, if, if that's a technical thing, but you've got the storytelling down. Um, and, and that was, yeah. That's why you'll hear a lot of editors say they can tell in the first couple of pages how good a book is going to yeah, be. Yeah, they really can. Absolutely. Sometimes the first paragraph. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And then you've got the, the book. It's edited. It's copy edited. Um, the last thing I want to ask um, is uh, what else, how do you get the quotes? How do you get things like that? What, what does the <laughs> editor do then? Is that too much to cover? We've got just No, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, sometimes... The, you, sometimes the writer has already come in with quotes. He's already, uh -huh. he's already hounded his buddies. Other times you hound people. You try and not overplay your favors. Right. I, you know, I have a list of people that I try not to use too often. I'll uh -huh. say, look, I haven't asked you for anything in two years. Will you read this and give me a quote? Yeah. Um, it, that's, a, that's a tap dance always. Right. Yeah. And so, if you're lucky, someone like P.W. will review the book from its press gallery in enough time for you to get their quote on the book. Ah, um, yeah. Hasn't happened to me before. but We've, it, we've yeah. had it under the wire a few yeah. times. I think we're I think we're out of time, Lou. We're just about well. We're just about right, out of time, right. but I want to ask I want to ask Lou something real quick. Uh, for our listeners out there, most of whom are writers, uh, want to be writing professionally. Some of them are writing professionally. Do you have words of encouragement, or do you want to try and scare them away? Both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's hear them. I, be brilliant. It's not good enough to be good. Yeah, mm. be brilliant. Um, I would if. For all those out there, I would highly recommend Fire as a publisher. Um, I talk to the authors. Um, I know what people say in the buzz, and the buzz about Pyre is fantastic. Um, this is a fantastic company, and so if you have a chance somehow to pitch to Lou, go for it, is what I would say. 
thousand manuscripts in my inbox when I get home. <laughs> We're not giving out your email address, yeah. Lou. You, they have their people find it out. <laughs> well, Lou, thank you so much for um, for being with us. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed yeah. this yeah. tremendously. This has been Writing Excuses. Thank you all. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 